0: Hello, I'm Johani Haki, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our heavenly brothers and sisters, friends who are always willing to be there to ensure our eyes are always oriented toward the Lord. While all the saints were great at this, today I'm going to introduce you to someone whose eyes were particularly tuned toward the spiritual, and so I ask you. Have you ever struggled with temptations toward impurity? Do you find yourself longing to be pure of heart? Well, if you answered yes to one or both of these, then allow me to introduce you to Saint Gemma Galgani. You may intro now. (laughs) Before we dive into Gemma's story, let me tell you a few things about her. Firstly, she's super cool. She was canonized in 1940, so she's a fairly modern saint. Her feast day is April 11th. And she is the patron of students, pharmacists, those who've experienced the loss of parents, those suffering from back pain or injury, as well as those suffering from headaches and migraines, and she's also patron for those who struggle with temptations toward impurity, and those longing for a pure heart. As we look at her life, I'm sure these patronages will make a bit more sense. So, the year, 1878, on March 12th, in a small hamlet, which is something a little bit larger than a village. Well, in this hamlet, known as Caponori, Italy, Gemma Galgani entered the world, born to Enrico and Aurelia Galgani. She was the fifth of eight children, so it's very clear that she came from a Catholic family. Her father was a pharmacist, and apparently provided well for the family. One month after Gemma was born and baptized, the Galgani family moved to the nearby Italian town of Lucca, with the hopes that the children may receive better educations. However, when Gemma was around three years old, difficult times befell the family. Her mother contracted tuberculosis, and uh, Gemma and her siblings were sent away to avoid uh, exposure to their contagious mother. Well, Gemma began schooling and was found to be an extraordinarily gifted student. Well, it was also noticed by those around her just how passionate she was for her faith, even at that age. At such a young age, she relished going to Mass and saying her prayers, even going so far as to order people to leave her alone so that she could speak with God. Well, she was confirmed in the church on May 26th of 1885 and received her first communion on June 17th of 1887, which happens to be the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is a feast day that falls 19 days after Pentecost, so the date of it jumps around from year to year. Well, her mother ended up actually passing away the year prior to this, uh, on September 17th of 1886. Now, I was I was very tempted to begin that sentence with a sadly, but uh, that wasn't actually how Gemma viewed the death of her mother. At eight years old, she was filled with Almost like a, a childlike jealousy that her mother was going to heaven without her. Well, it was around this event that she encountered her first heavenly conversation. Uh, according to her autobiography, it went like this. I was praying for mom when all of a sudden a voice in my heart said to me, Are you willing to give me your mother? Yes, I replied. If you take me also. No said the voice. Give me your mother, for the present you must remain with your father. I will take you to her in heaven later. I had to say yes. And when the mass was finished, I ran home. Eight years old. Hmm. And so her extraordinary virtue grew immensely from then. Upon her receiving First Communion, she indicates that she never felt more joy than being united with Christ in the Eucharist for the first time, and that from then on, her heart was always longing for the Eucharist, and that the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus became her feast day. Such was her passion to be united to Jesus. In the following years, she proved herself to be a very gifted student, despite chronic illnesses, which uh, ultimately resulted in her having to quit school. Though it's during this time, specifically 1893, that we receive the first record of her interactions with her guardian angel, and I find this to actually be pretty powerful. uh, To offer some context, This was in regards to certain items that she really wanted to wear, such as a gold medal that she had received from the archbishop, and also a gold watch uh, that she received as a gift. She mentioned she was looking forward to wearing these items when her angel appeared and said, Remember that the ornaments of a spouse of a crucified king are thorns and the cross. Then he disappeared. She took her angel's words to heart, and from then on, refused to acknowledge vain ornaments. This message carried with it all of the heaviness that it implied, as a year later, in 1894, her most beloved brother, Gino died from tuberculosis as he studied for the priesthood. Now, this was an immense trial for Gemma, and though she was so stricken with grief that she became dangerously ill... She notes that she would overhear her father begging Jesus to take him and to spare Gemma. Well, it seems that his prayers were heard, for she made a full recovery, and he, being her father, uh, passed away three years later. Well, in, before then, in 1896, she was plagued again with uh, sickness when a terrible infection formed on her foot. Now, this was an infection that was so bad that she had to undergo emergency surgery, and so she had no anesthetics. However, it's reported by the witnesses that she bore that pain with immense grace, no doubt offering all of that suffering uh, upon the altar of the Lord. Well, it was in that year, uh, on Christmas Day, that she made her vow of chastity. And a year later, when she was 18 years old... Uh, That was when her father passed away, so 1897. Well, She was struck again with sorrow, and although Jesus told her that there was no need for tears, but she turned that around and used it to further her pursuit to be the spouse of the crucified Jesus and made a vow of purity on Christmas Day of that year. And the following year she goes further, taking a vow of virginity, After having refused two marriage proposals. In fact, the the stories of her interactions with these men are kind of funny. (laughs) Just because of how repulsed she was at the idea of belonging to anybody other than Jesus. Well, it was after this she became struck with spinal meningitis. And as with all of the sufferings before this, uh, it served to bring her closer to Christ. And through the intercession of Gabriel Passenti, who is now Saint Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows, she experienced a miraculous healing. And she talks about her visions of Saint Gabriel, uh, visiting her and encouraging her to pray a novena. Well, as it was in 1899, her experiences as a mystic began in full force. June 8th of that year, she received the stigmata. Now, this experience she described the Blessed Mother Mary and her guardian angel appearing to her. Mary, and I quote here, "...spread her mantle and covered me with it. At that moment, Jesus appeared with all his wounds open, but blood no longer came out. Rather, flames of fire issued forth, and in an instant these flames came to touch my hands, my feet, and my heart." I felt as if I would die. I fell to the floor, but my mother supported me, keeping me covered in her mantle. I had to remain several hours in that position. Finally, she kissed me on my forehead, and all vanished, and I found myself kneeling on the floor. But I still felt an intense pain in my hands, feet, and heart. I arose to go to bed, and noticed that blood was flowing from those parts where I felt pain. I covered them as well as I could. And then with the help of my angel, I was able to go to bed. After this incredible event, she encountered remarkable ecstasies and even received the crown of thorns and experienced the scourging of Christ. Which is why she has now come to be referred to as the daughter of the Passion. Because she was just so unified with Christ's own passion. Well, increasingly toward the final years of her life, she offered herself as a sacrifice for the conversion of sinful souls. And the weight of bearing all of that sin, uh, these sins of others, well, that took an immense toll on her body. In September of 1902, her health plummeted. And in January of 1903, she was diagnosed with tuberculosis. After months of further suffering, She ended up dying on April 11th of 1903, which happened to be Holy Saturday. She died at 25 years old. The priest said uh, that she died with a smile, and the smile remained on her lips so that I could hardly convince myself that she was really dead. Which is incredible that somebody who was going through so much suffering could also experience so much joy Or rather, she experienced the joy because of all that suffering. Because her suffering was a holy suffering. Given that she's a fairly recent saint, there's an absolute wealth of information on her that I obviously had to cut down on in order to keep things concise. I highly recommend looking further into her yourself if you'd like to begin a friendship with her. But... There are some important highlights that I'd like to make that I didn't necessarily cover in her story. During the later years of her life, she had a spiritual director, as we all should. Uh, And his name was uh, now the venerable Germanus Rupolo, who was an incredibly wise man and ended up serving as St. Gemma's biographer. Well, one of the reasons we know so much about Gemma is in part because he wrote a biography on her and his interactions with her, but also because he recognized her mystical experiences, and he requested that she write out her life's story as a general confession, which uh, serves as her autobiography. And while a good distance away from her, the two actually remained in pretty good contact uh, through Gemma's guardian angel, and the guardian angel of her spiritual director. And while her spiritual director couldn't see his own angel, uh, Gemma could, and she actually described his angel as being particularly beautiful and even having a star over his head, which is pretty darn neat. Well, they would deliver letters to one another. These letters contained incredible spiritual insights of a woman so blessed by God. Uh, I'd also, like to take this moment to highlight the role of Gemma's guardian angel in her life. Now, the last episode I dedicated to guardian angels and their roles and kind of explained that a little bit more. But uh, Saint Gemma's life is the epitome of a relationship with one's angel. Her spiritual director was often witness to her interactions with her angel, whom she could nearly always see. And in fact, she was so comfortable with her angel that she would argue with him. And at one point, her spiritual director had to remind her that she was in fact speaking to a blessed spirit of heaven and that she should be trembling before him. But all of this is to say that she was given the sight of her angel so that she could receive the instruction needed to become Christ's bride. Her angel held her accountable, and worked ceaselessly to keep her oriented always toward heaven. And that's the role of your angel. And if St. Gemma is any indication, it's that great strides are made when we cooperate with the guardians of our souls. So, we get to this. What virtue stood out to me regarding St. Gemma? Well, obviously her chastity. I mean, she took vows of chastity, purity, and virginity, and exercised this virtue to grow immensely in union with the Lord. But this virtue led to something that particularly stood out to me as I read up on her. And that's what I'm going to actually focus on here. So, well, now this is here where I kind of take some liberties using the term virtue, but I digress. What actually stood out to me the most was her sorrow for her sins. In all of her writings, she laments her own unworthiness to be loved by Jesus and is moved all the more powerfully when he shows her time and time again that he loves her beyond comprehension. Now, her, her sorrow wasn't self-loathing but rather a loathing for the sins she committed. Her interior life was so incredible that she knew very well just how imperfect she was, aided also by her angel who would scold her and tell her how ashamed he was whenever she acted sinfully. Which, if the daughter of the passion was sinful enough to make her angel feel ashamed, then, oh my goodness, it's Probably for the best that I cannot see the face of my angel. However, I could do better to feel sorrow for my sins. That's something I could absolutely work on and something that I should work on. I think we could all learn something special from Saint Gemma in recognizing our faults and in turn using them to understand just how cherished each of us are by Jesus And so, to close things out, let me offer you a prayer composed by St. Gemma herself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O my crucified God, behold me at your feet. Do not cast me out, now that I appear before you as a sinner. I have offended you exceedingly in the past, my Jesus, but it shall be so no longer. Before you, O Lord, I place all my sins. I have now considered your own sufferings, and see how great is the worth of that precious blood that flows from your veins. O my God, at this hour close your eyes to my want of merit. And since you have been pleased to die for my sins, grant me forgiveness for them all, that I may no longer feel the burden of my sins. For this burden, dear Jesus, oppresses me beyond measure. Assist me, my Jesus. For I desire to become good whatsoever it may cost. Take away, destroy, utterly root out all that you find in me contrary to your holy will. At the same time, I pray to you, Lord Jesus, to enlighten me that I may be able to walk in your holy light. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That does it for this episode. Find joy in faith amidst sorrow, and one day someone might just tell your story. We'll see you next time. You may outro now. (laughs) And that she should be trembling before. Well, I and I think that's all something. I think that's something that we could all... I think we could all... Oi Man, somebody so full of mystical graces, Gemma is a very beautiful soul. And during her life greatly affected those around her. So perhaps I might check out someone whose effects on Earth were a bit more widespread. Well, tune in next time and learn about a science man. See ya.